This morning's passage is in Esther chapter 5, and um, you may remember, we'll talk a little bit about it, but Lord, change us that we might act and respond and be sensitive. The third day after Esther and her people had, we thank you for your love and care. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out his gold scepter that was in his hand. And so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king asked, what? Okay. Kenny doesn't care. He says you can run. Can adults run too? Okay. No. I was just telling somebody this morning, there's only two reasons to run. Something's going to eat you, or there's ice cream at the other end. Sorry, Carol. <laughs> so this week we're in uh, Esther chapter 5. Oh, side note, real quick side note. We are taking the offering today. We're going to start back into the offering uh, so that means when we get done, uh, there'll be what we call the offertory, and we haven't done that in a long time, in a while. Um, there'll be a couple ushers, and uh, they'll actually come, and they're going to pass the offering plate um, during the time we sing the last song, and um, during the time when we have the altar call, that, that kind of all happens at once. Um, we haven't, it's been a while, but I wanted to give you a heads up. So you can throw your connect cards in there and your offering in there. Um, we're trying to get things back to normal. Um, it may feel a little clunky for a couple weeks because it's been a while since we did it. And so we may not remember, uh, but we will work towards uh, being back to fully normal. So I wanna, uh, today we're in chapter 5 of Esther. Uh, of course, I asked the same question. I'm going to ask it every week. Did I get it? Anybody get a chance to read it today, this week? All right, I got some hands up. That's good, good. All right. Chapter 5 is pretty exciting. You know, we, uh, it's, there was some you know, suspenseful music at the end of chapter 4, and, and we're now um, going to get a sense of what's going on, what's happening next in this story. And I don't know if you've noticed this, and I just want to make this clear. If you think this is a G-rated movie, you are misunderstanding the book of Esther. And I don't say that to twist it and or make it more than it is. But if you understand the, the sign of the time, if you understand the times and what was going on in this situation, um, this is definitely a PG, even maybe an R-rated movie. Uh, and, and I only tell you that because I think sometimes we come in with, uh, with such blinders on that we can't recognize what's really going on in a story. And sometimes we want it to be the Disney version of a fairy tale, right? We want it to be happy and lovely and fun and nice. And uh, someone asked me uh, last week or the week before about um, their Bible says the gallows. Did anybody read the, that in, they were going to be hung in the gallows? Did you catch that? Um, and we had a good, it was a good discussion. I appreciated it. Um, if you look, if you go back uh, to the the Hebrew, it says the word is used is hung or hung up. So there's a sense of being uh, hung, as in hung by the neck uh, until dead, 
or hung up, which was impalement. And if you know anything about the Persians, um, the Persians were famous for um, being very creative about how they killed people. Um, I don't tell you that to creep you out, but just for you to understand. They invented crucifixion. They invented impalement. Uh, impalement was not a pretty sight. My sense is this. Being hung was probably the most humane of their ideas. Uh, and I'm not sold that that's what the idea was. They didn't put you in the middle of the, of the, uh, of the city uh, on a stick for nothing. Um, there, was, there was an understanding that people uh, behaved a whole lot better um, when they were under someone's thumb. And the Persians understood that. And I only tell you that because I want you to understand that this, this is a pretty real uh, story with a lot of, of nuances that maybe we don't catch if we just read it through real quick. And we don't think about um, the humanness that's involved in this story. And we, we think, well, if it's in the Bible, it's, it's got to only be rated G. And, I, and my sense is there's, there's some really big nuances in here that we don't always catch. Obviously, I'm not bringing all of them out in the sermon on Sunday morning, but I want you to, to begin to, to think about what happens uh, in power overall. What happens in the human experience? What happens when people aren't believers and um, are led by sin and their selfishness and their sac- right? And we get a sense of that today. We're going we're gonna to get a sense of of some arrogance and or pride that's going on uh, in, in the, today's passage. Not pride that just makes us feel bad, but this is pride who wants to kill someone. And so I want to use that as an overarching understanding that these are humans uh, living a human life. And it's, all not, it's not all roses and unicorns. There's some very real uh, pieces that remind us that these are humans. That being said, I want to just remind you about God's providence, His constant care, His absolute rule over all, His creation for His own glory and the good of His people. God's providence. Remember, if you don't remember, I'll remind you that God is not spoken in the book of Esther. And so we could quickly say, why one, why is it in there? Two, why did it make it? And is God in the story? Does God show up on the scene in the story? Can we find God? And that's what God's providence is, right? His overarching um, rule, reign, his, his, his having a sense that God is in behind the scenes, even when he isn't right in the forefront. He's still working behind the scenes. Hence the reason I believe it, it made the canon, right? It made the Bible because it's a great story. A great story of, of God working uh, in the lives of the Jews and God working in the lives of the people in Persia and, and God um, directing the path of His people to prepare and prepare, uh, protect them. So you remember we ended last week with Esther's call to the God's people. Let's fast for three days. 
And at the end of three days, I'm going to get on my best clothes. I'm going to get my robe. And I'm going to go to the king. And when I go to the king, if I perish, I perish. Remember what happened to the king before, or the queen before her. She was at least disposed or deposed. We really don't know exactly what happened to her. But that could very easily have happened for Esther. This was a, her life was on the line. She was going to go in front of the king. And you know, these, it's kind of a silly picture. But you know the, the pictures where you see a king with guards? Uh, that, was their, that was their protection, right? Um, and, and the reason that people didn't get in to see the king couldn't go. It wasn't like normal. You couldn't just go visit the king. It wasn't like you stopped by the palace and said, hey, we got nothing else to do. Let's just go see what the king looks like. It didn't happen. Why? Because that was his protection. No one ever made it inside. And if they made it inside, the rule was if the king didn't like them, they were dead immediately. There wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to have a trial and we're going to see why you were here and we're going we're gonna to have lawyers and in six months we'll make a decision. It, it didn't work that way. There were people next to the king it would be like, off of his head, out of here, done. And you were dead. That's why when Esther came uh, to the king, she understood what, was, what could very well happen. If he wasn't pleased and he had a bad day and he was angry, he could have her killed at the moment's notice. He also had a scepter. Do you see the scepter in his hand? A gold scepter or a rod, right? And the deal was this, if the king saw you, so my sense is, it says he was pointed towards the entrance, and there shows up Esther, right in front of him. He has a choice to make. He wants to see her, ask her what she wants, wants to talk to her. If he's in a bad mood, bad day, doesn't want to see her, can have her chased out of there. If he wants to kill her, he has a choice to do that as well. The king has that scepter and he extends it. And what happens when he extends it? Let me see what happens. There's one little note in there. You see what happens when he, she touches it, right? She has to accept that she has been, she touches it. And so there's this understanding. Okay. Okay. We're good. He's okay with me being here, right? And then he asks the question. What is it that you want? Well, I want to go back real quick. And, and just talk a little bit about Esther following through. It says, on the third day, uh, she got all of her stuff together, her robes, and stood in the inner court, and the king was there waiting. And when he did, he extended the scepter. I got, if you haven't noticed, I got behind. I wasn't paying attention to my notes. Esther reached out. She, she followed through what she promised she would do. She made a decision and she kept going. And God provided in that decision. And I wonder how often that we make decisions and we half make decisions or we might half talk about a decision or we might say something off the cuff. And then we're called on the carpet to, to keep our commitment. God, if you get me through this, I promise I'll go to church and I'll be more regular and I'll volunteer. 
God, if you take care of this situation, I'll give extra. God, I'll, I'll, I'll respond by reading my Bible more often. Or being more faithful this time. God, if you could just do this one, I'll, I'll scratch your back and I'll do that. And I wonder how often in our lives we make those off-the-cuff comments. And we don't, most often we don't say them out loud, right? Because if we say them out loud, <laughs> we might have to actually hold up to that. And I wonder how often in our life we say those things. And then when it comes true and God takes care of His end of the bargain, we leave them hanging. God provides His end and we fall short on our end. I wonder how often that happens in our lives. Probably by the silence all too often. There's a story about a guy named Abraham uh, in the Old Testament in Genesis. Does anybody know what the promise to Abraham was? Brian. Exactly. Numerous as a start. Thanks, Brian. Just so you guys know, I don't pay Brian anything to have the answer. I, I, didn't, I don't always know if anybody's going to have the answer. Good job, Brian. Brian's pretty good at that, though. Glenn had it, too. They must have been talking about it on the way up. God says to Abraham, if you leave your people and follow me, if you leave your people and follow me, I will make you a man, a nation, that will be as many as, what was it, Brian? The stars, the stars right? Anybody count? Or the sand, right? There's, another, right? there's another scripture that talks about, anybody know how to count how much sand we have? Everybody ever grab a handful of sand and realize that there's, the point is this. God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, hold tight, Abraham. You and Sarah are going to have a baby. Does anybody know how old Abraham was when he actually first had a baby? A hundred. A hundred. What do you think the chances of Abraham being a hundred and Sarah being probably in her 90s, somewhere around there, the chances of them having a child? Pretty slim, right? If we were, uh, if we were betting people, the odds would be, uh, would, would be pretty low that that would actually happen. You wonder how Abraham felt in the middle of that? God makes him a promise. I will, he even goes to the point of doing what? Getting another girl pregnant, right? Can't get Sarah pregnant, so he's like, oh, she has a concubine or a, a, a helper. We'll get her pregnant. That'll work. Maybe God, maybe God was misunderstood, right? Maybe God, Maybe God just... He got, he got busy doing something else and he forgot about me. Maybe he needs a little. Maybe he needs a Yeah, exactly. I'm sure no one else has ever said that to God, right? Maybe God, you need to give... I can help you on this one. Right? 
And of course, we know if you read that story, you know that ends in a me- that's pretty messy. <laughs> and today is still messy. But God comes through to Abraham. And who does he have? He has a son. What's his name? Anybody know? Isaac. Isaac, thank you. Of course, if you know that story, God puts Abraham to the test. Right? God, Abraham wasn't fully uh, in 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 line with God's plan, and so God puts Abraham to the test, right? And we know that test where God is, it says, go sacrifice your son, your only son on the, on the altar. That's a great story. That's a diff- for a different day. The point is this. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill what he took God at his word. This is in Romans where Paul's, Paul's reiterating what's going on or what happened in Genesis. And he says, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at a hundred years of age he figured his body was good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Do you believe that the promises of God for your own life? Do you believe that he keeps his, own, his promises in your life? See, we read these stories and it's easy to see, well, yeah, that was cool. Abraham, he made the Bible and pretty cool story, but probably not going to happen in my life. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? And that he's not late. He's right on time in fulfilling those promises. Esther understood that she might die when she went to the king. And yet God kept his promise. What was the promise? To prepare and preserve God's people. He promised to preserve them. They were the apple of his eye. He loved them. And he spared them. God keeps his promises. Do you remember the other promise? There's another promise in Genesis 9. If you haven't read that one, that one's the flood, right? Noah and the flood. God keeps his promise, and his promise is this. I will never again flood the earth. I put this up here for another reason as well. It seems like in our world that we have created a mess. A mess where the sign of a rainbow has been twisted. Twisted and turned into something not okay. But don't lose heart. Don't lose sight. Read chapter 9 of Genesis and understand the promise of the rainbow. It happened a long, 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 long time ago. And even when things get twisted and turned and, and, and made a mess of, in my mind, 
in this world, it doesn't minimize the promises of God. It doesn't minimize the promises of God. That rainbow was a sign. A promise. And even if things get messed up, even if this world twists things upside down, it doesn't change the fact that God keeps His promises. Next we have the king, or the king's pleasure. The king realizes very quickly, Queen Esther, what is it that you want to uh, ask? Obviously, he quickly figures out that she wouldn't come and ask for anything if it weren't important. Uh-oh, sorry, I'm on the wrong page. No, I'm good. Queen Esther, what is it? What is it that you want to tell me? What is it that you want to know? What is on your heart and on your mind? Do you really think the king would give her half of the kingdom? Was that just a whim? Was that just an idea? Was he really willing to give her half of what he had? Or was he just talking? Was he just talking smack? Well, we quickly figure out that she had a hook in him. I don't know if you noticed. She put out the hook and it had lots of bait. And she's like, she's reeling the king in. And she says, I'll tell you what. Come to a banquet tomorrow. Come to a banquet tomorrow with me and... I'm going to make you your favorite food. Come and we'll talk about it. And quickly, the king's like, oh. Sound, I didn't have anything going anyway. I didn't have another party, so yeah, let's go. Party? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I haven't had a party since two days ago. And not with the queen, right? Because we say... Because it said 30 days since he had seen that, since he had seen Esther. So that she she throws the bait out there and she's got him hooked. She's like, let's go. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, who are we bringing? Bring Haman with you. Can you bring Haman? Um, I know he's like your second in command. Why don't you bring him with you? And don't you wonder what the king was thinking? Gee, I wonder what's important enough for, for me and Haman to hear, and what is she going to ask us? What is the, what, obviously, there was something on her mind. It wasn't just, let's just have a party. Who knows what it went through uh, his mind? She had him on the hook. The king understood pleasure. He lived his life. And if you look at all the other kings of those times, you look at Solomon and you ask yourself pretty quickly, uh, when you read uh, Ecclesiastes, you, you quick at, quickly can figure out that these kings spared nothing. 
They had everything that you could imagine to the nth degree. What they could think of, they had. It wasn't strawberry shortcake every night after dinner. They had whatever was at their disposal, uh, people. They had food. Uh, this guy here, Xerxes, he liked to drink. I'm sure probably other ones as well. They had everything they could want. And so what was the lure for Esther, or for the king, when Esther came in? What was the bait? What did, what did she hook him with? Come hang out. She's, she, she leaves him with a question. I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow what's going to happen. I have a question, but I don't want to ask it till tomorrow. And the king is left to wait. And don't we like a good surprise? <laughs> Everybody but Mackenzie likes a good surprise. Some people don't like surprises, I agree. Ah, they're not, yeah, they're not always. This one's, I think this one's going to be good, though. The king's like, boy, I can't wait for my surprise party tomorrow. If you're the king, though, you don't have much to worry about, right? It's all good surprises. Because if it's bad surprises, you just take them out. Get rid of them. And so the king is forced to wait for his surprise party. And my sense is there's this excitement over something new, something exciting. Because when you're the king, you're making all the decisions. And now someone's come in, Esther's come in, and she's kind of flipped the script a little bit. He might know what's on the table, but he doesn't really understand what's going to happen. Or maybe the question that will be asked. And the king is forced to wait. And it reminds me that God's providence sometimes makes us wait. And so let me ask you this question. When God asks you to wait, is it any less his providence when you're asked to wait? If there's one thing about faith that I've come to realize. The act of coming to faith is instant. The process of sanctification is a process. And everyone I, I meet who's in the, the depths and the dark and the deep and the hard stuff want to be out of there yesterday. And it's hard to see the forest through the trees. And the process gets long. And any process over a day is too long. I need to be out of this mess. I need to be away from this. God, come and fix this problem yesterday. All too often, it's taken us 10 years to build this pit, this hole, to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. And then we ask God, come and wipe it all out in one second. It happens a lot in counseling. And one of the first lines I say in counseling is you didn't get here in a day and you won't get out in a day. 
Because God is working through what happened. The process of the struggles, of the, of the darkness, of the difficulties, of the problems. He doesn't take away all of those memories. He doesn't wipe it clean with a pill. But rather, He begins to heal us from the inside out. Why? Because that's our story. When we have to wait on God, when we have to keep working and trusting, that's when our faith grows. If He fixed it instantly, we would be like the ten lepers. If God fixed us, poof, instantly, take a pill, and you're good to go, we would be just like the ten lepers. You know what, you know what the ten lepers did? Nine of them just went off and did their own thing. They didn't even bother to say thank you. And guess what? We would do the exact same thing. Because we're humans. And so don't be challenged about God's provision when you're asked to wait. Those are the moments when we hold tight. Those are the moments when we have to cry out to God. If the change is worth it, you'll hang tight and hold on to the only thing that's left to hold on. God. There's a great parable about the seed, or the sower, right? And it talks about the seed. And the one I see way too often in the church setting is this one. Seed hits the shallow, rocky ground. And it grows up. Poof! instant. Ta-da! Big, nice, pretty flower. And it does exactly what Mark Zucchini did, right? Mark Zucchini's in a pot, is it not, Mark? Yeah, it's in a, that's, I, thought, I thought he had told me it's in a pot. So you know what happens when your plants are in a pot, right? They're great as long as you keep them watered, but it doesn't take long when it's 95 degrees for, the pot, for a, something big, especially big like a zucchini, big leaves, big stalks, and fruit on it, or vegetables. To go, the best part of, a, of that story is you know that probably a half an hour after the water got in there, zucchini was like, ta da, right? Like nothing had ever happened. Those are great stories. But all too often, our faith is on, on shallow, rocky soil, which means we come to Christ, but we don't really experience Him. We don't dig in. We don't. Um, we don't make it real and alive and a part of our life. And the first bad hot day, it turns to 100 degrees, what happens? There's nothing for our roots to be in. The first bad uh, thing in life happens. Someone dies, someone gets hurt, someone gets cancer, someone, you name it. Our roots aren't deep. And we quickly fade. Now all of us want big, long, strong roots in our faith. But they don't come when you're three years old. It comes through the fire. It comes through the struggles. It comes through trusting God in the hard times. It comes through waiting for God to respond in our life. 
And you know what? I don't find many people who enjoy that. So enjoy. So you can join that club. No one wants to wait on God. No one wants to sit back and say, all right, God, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be faithful for the next 10 years and I hope it works out. No, we're, we're more of the, I'll be faithful for the next 10 seconds. And God, I want you to make this work out. All too often, we're not ready to wait. That's where our faith is grown. That's where our faith is strengthened. We look to those who are older in our, our congregation, our population, right? And we call them the saints, right? And there are some saints who have gone to be with the Lord. And we say, why are they saints? What is it that makes them so uh, saintly, right? What is it about their faith that's strong? You, you know what's powerful about their faith? They have walked the journey through the valleys, through the mountains, They've gone up and down. They have been in the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. And they have held tight to Jesus. That's what makes them a saint in the faith. And I don't know if you know this, but I want you to think about this. Each one of us are working our way on that same journey. We're just behind. We're not as far along on the path. But each one of us are working our way on the journey of faith. And at any moment, if you so choose, you can step off the trail. You can get stuck in the mud and the mire. You can refuse to cross the creek. Or you can keep trudging when the struggles are hard and life is difficult. Knowing full well that God is still working in your life. It's your choice. Finally, I want to talk just a minute about Haman's pride. Haman said, uh, told them, all his friends and his wife, right? He goes back and he's He's like, I went to the dinner. It was me and the king, and Esther invited us, uh, and it was great. Party was awesome. It was just us three. And he tells, talks about his wealth and his kids and um, how he was honored and put above everybody else, and um, I'm the big dog. And Haman's pride quickly gets in the way. It's funny, when he leaves, the only thing that bothers him is what? Mordecai still out there. That stinking Mordecai is out there by the gate, and he's irritating me. And I'm second in command. And you know what? I don't like him. And his kid, his friends and family. You know what we can do? Why don't you just have them build a, a gallow fifty cubits high? Anybody know how high fifty cubits? There's seventy-five. Thank you. I, I figured someone would look it up or check it out. Put that baby really high. We want to see him hang. We're going to put him way up there. You the man, Haman. We're going to show them. Haman's pride, his heart got in the way. He thought he had the heartbeat of the king. He felt like 
If I go there tomorrow, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say to the king, you know what, king? There's this guy, and he just keeps making me mad. So, do you mind if I um, hang him off the gallows? And I bet, and his friends are telling him, "Don't worry, I'm sure he's gonna he'll 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 hear you." I wonder how often our pride gets in the way of our faith. We actually believe we have a sense of where God's working when maybe we don't or haven't spent the time seeking Him to find out. Maybe we really don't know the heartbeat of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe it's not what we think it is or what we want. Maybe the situations aren't going to turn out like we would like them to. Maybe we've not stopped long enough to hear the heartbeat of Jesus in our own life. We know who Jesus is. We've heard of him. We've read about him. He was this perfect guy, lived a perfect life. He died for me. He rose again so that I could have faith. But I haven't taken the time to listen for his heartbeat in my life. All too often, it's easy to say, I got my get out of hell free card. But I really don't want to live my life the way he wants me to live my life because you know why? It's a bit inconvenient. And I'm not interested in inconvenient. I'll serve him when I get old. I'll serve him when I retire. I'll, I'll, do, I'll serve him when there's more time. But right now, I got these things on my mind. There's a reason that God gives us marriage as a representation of His relationship with us. And this is the piece that I'm still learning, but I'm beginning to understand. It's not the marriage highest of highs or the marriage lowest of lows, but it's the journey. The mornings of drinking coffee together. The moments of having a snack together. Or laughing together. Or enjoying time together. It's the journey that's most important. It's not how big our wedding was. Or how dark some days have been. It's the journey. Yesterday we were at a party and I've told you that my son, Dan and April, are expecting. So we were at a um, diaper party. I don't, I don't know. Bring a diaper. I don't, I don't really get it all, but I don't, I don't have to. It doesn't matter. I'm old. <laughs> but we're watching Dan play badminton with one of his buddy's sons. And I don't know, the son must be like four. And I, I don't know. I don't know what was going through Dan's mind. But I couldn't help but think, oh, actually Amy said it. I'd be lying if I said it was me. I thought it, but she said it. She said, I wonder if he's getting ready to raise his own son. 
And I'm sure, I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, that was running through his mind as well. This opportunity to teach his son and, and just preparing for that. Part of the journey. And I can't help but think about how God would offer his son His one and only Son, the Scripture says, as a sacrifice for us. That's hard for me to accept. It's hard for me to understand, to fathom, to think about how could God give His one and only Son, His loved child, how could He give Him away for me? That is the love of a father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the story of Esther and Lord, for chapter 5 and the reminder of your love for us. Lord, it's hard to fathom all that's going on in this story. And yet we recognize that you continue to provide for your people over and over and over again. We thank you for your son Jesus who went to the cross. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who needs to rekindle that flame, who needs to work on that relationship, who needs to right the wrongs, to, to lay their sin at the altar. I pray this morning that, Lord, as they feel that sense, that you would draw them close. We thank you for the story today. In your name we pray. Amen.